Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm very excited to have on today's show, Charlie Hone, who you may have heard of in passing many, many, many times. At least I feel like I've come across his name constantly, whether you're reading Tim Ferriss's blog or you're checking out Otter Charm podcast or you're just Googling something about like how creative people have like effectively marketed or, or launched books you'll find Charlie's name come up time and time and time again. And he's one of the, I think, smartest marketers when it comes to not only like book marketing, but just marketing, online marketing in general. So I'm very excited to have him on the call today. He's worked with people like Seth Godin, Tim Ferriss. I mean, I could go on, but it's, I won't name drop too much. We'll, we'll get into it if we get into it. But bottom line, it's very smart. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about his new project that he's kickstarting right now that's already doubled its, its funding goal. It's a really cool book that you should definitely check out. And I'll be sharing that as well in the show notes. And the way I want to kick it off, though, Charlie, is talking a little bit about Ja Rule. What do you think? <laughs> well, thanks for the intro, Tom. That was yeah. super nice of you. And my, my ego's sky high right now. But Ja Rule, I have been, I, w- I was staying up late last night just reading articles about it because I was just laughing so Same. hard. And it just felt so good to just be, I, like, I had tears coming down my face. I was just laughing so hard yeah. at this fire festival. It's like, it's amazing. Set, I feel, set the stage because I feel like it's not this, I don't know if this is mainstream per se. I kind of caught it in passing. Yeah. So give, give, well, give the back, background. Yeah. I mean, every every friend of mine that I've I've texted about it has known about it, <laughs> so I think it might be mainstream. But, okay, okay, maybe. Um, it, I don't know. I don't know. So basically, what happened is Ja Rule of all people, this obscure or not obscure but obsolete rapper, basically decided to throw a music festival in the Bahamas. I want to say, and they mm-hmm. advertised it as this very luxurious high-end Coachella, basically, where you get flown in on a private jet, you stay in these luxury villas. All of their marketing led you to believe that this was gonna be a very glamorous experience. <laughs> and uh, when, when people got there, many of them had paid upwards of $12,000 for this experience. Like On the low level, it was like $2,000, right? Some had paid far beyond that. When they got there, it was basically a disaster (laughs) relief setting where they were sleeping in FEMA tents and being served like cheese and bread sandwiches. People lost their passports. They got their luggage stolen. And they're essentially stranded there because they could only take so many flights in and out of this little little island. So it's like fly style right now. Yeah, that and like they encouraged everybody to use those wristbands, those cashless wristbands. So everybody was showing up without cash. And so for like three or four days, a lot of them were just like stranded, had no idea what to do. They could, it's just like one of the funniest 
things I've ever read. It's, it read like a South Park episode or something. <laughs> yeah. Like to have all these rich, spoiled people show up for a festival and have them living in disaster <laughs> relief was just amazing. And, the, and my favorite thing I read was uh, if you pay Ja Rule $10,000 in 2017, then you deserve whatever happens to you. Right, right. Well, you know, it's funny too. So it's, it's funny and horrible, but like we'll get over the hor- horribleness of it all because I don't think anybody's died. So it's just kind of like, <laughs> just like massive That's it. I mean, yeah, let's put this in perspective, right? right? I mean, right. They, no one's died. It's fine. Like they had a few days. These are people the with disposable income stuck. too. That's important yeah. to know. Yeah, that's the thing. And and granted, like these guys are crooks. They're idiots. Like I don't condone what they did, but the situation is objectively hysterical. <laughs> it, it is. And and okay, so I actually want to. Not only is it hilarious just to talk about, because actually I've read this article and I haven't actually gotten to talk to anybody about it, because I was just kind of laughing internally and saying <laughs> I need to write an article about this. Because it is. It's a most. It's one. It's gonna. I, this has to go down as one of the most fascinating case studies in in right. in, in marketing. Because if you think about it, it's, it's, it's the absolute like bottom of the barrel when you think about like, what is the worst thing you could ever do like as a marketer or salesperson? It's like oh. promise the world and then deliver FEMA tents on an <laughs> island and you're getting bag lunches full of like grilled cheese sandwich and you can't get off because you're wearing a bracelet and you didn't bring cash. Oh, like yeah. it's the absolute like big, you know, and, th- and it's funny because they're so trying to, see it wasn't a fraud. It was like just a mistake, but I'm sorry. But like you come up to that event, you're a month out and you know if this is going to work or not, right? Like it's not oh, rocket science. Dude. I mean, it's fraud. It it's is fraud. They're getting, they're getting sued for a hundred million dollars by yep. some big shot lawyer. And and here's the thing: we all know press gets blown up and things get exaggerated. And I was digging into this because I was thinking, surely somebody was just media savvy and they played this up to be totally way worse than it actually was. Yeah. It, from Everything I've seen, it really looks like it was as bad as people are saying it was. So it's definitely fraud. Uh, and I think it blew up because of this story is just so easy to catch. But, you know, as somebody who's planned a four day event, uh, yep. I, I did it on behalf of, on behalf of Tim Ferriss uh, when he did a book marketing seminar for four days. And it was the same price, you know, it was like $10,000 a head. That's why this was so funny to me because it shows complete negligence and a total yep. lack of, of care for yep, 100%. people coming. Oh, man. That's it. Like that's, that, that's it. Complete lack of care, I think, is, is the key point there because when I was looking at that, it's like, again, these guys, Ja Rule, yeah, obviously passes prime, but probably still you know, wealthy enough. And then mm-hmm. the other, his like millionaire, billionaire financier. So like they have the money, they have the funds. They obviously they get a ton of these pre-orders. They have the cash, mm-hmm. and then there's like nobody on the ground executing any of the stuff. I know. That's a complete di- disregard for like the people who just paid to come to this thing. You know, you see these disasters on like you know somebody like you know did a Kickstarter and, and oh maybe that's a good segue. Somebody <laughs> somebody did a Kickstarter and then wasn't able to deliver. And it's like that that sucks. But like you go into a Kickstarter knowing that right. it may not happen. Like I know now we kind of expect that it will. But also, like I, f- I find that I'm always forgiving of anybody who's doing a Kickstarter, and if their timelines get pushed back, if they're just, if they just communicate with me, yeah, if they're just straight up about it, yeah, and I've exactly. never had any. They, they, they didn't do that. They didn't no. do that at all. They let everybody fly in, and then it's like, sorry, we're not even here. Oh, you know, you know, no. The, here's the worst part, actually. They told all the A-listers 
not to come like a week or two be or like a week oh before. yeah and they said to the customers like too bad you're coming basically and like get excited still yeah blink it's, 182 it's the most bizarre it's the most bizarre yeah. thing like why would yeah. you do that why not just cancel the whole thing it's crazy know. man it's crazy hilarious glad we got to t talk on that and maybe <laughs> maybe tie in some lessons learned here like delivery and execution and how we should care about the customer but how mm -hmm. does that tie into like your kickstarter campaign right now tell me a little bit about the book what you're doing and, uh, sure. and how you're not jaw ruling your audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's okay. So I'm not jaw ruling my audience. This is this is how my Kickstarter is different. The book is called Play for a Living. I spent the last two three years putting this thing together and making sure it was finished before I launched it on Kickstarter. I only launched it on Kickstarter because it's an expensive book to print. Uh, it's an art book. So there are 75 portraits and quotes inside the book that are about the importance of basically uh, having fun at work and living joyfully from society's greatest creatives. It's a beautiful book, but to print in color and to print in hardcover, that raises the cost of the book a lot. And in order to get cost down, you have to bulk print a big set of the books. So that's why I did it on Kickstarter. And that's different from most Kickstarters, right? Where people come and they say, hey, I've got an idea for a book. I'd like to, to create the book now. Please give me the money as an advance to go out and create it. And you don't know if they're going to finish it. So I, I didn't want to launch this book until I was 100% sure that it could be done because working with 50 artists all around the world who are submitting these portraits, that took a long time. And I didn't, it took longer than I thought. We thought it would take six to eight months and it ended up taking about two years. Wow. That's incredible. Okay. Yeah. So, so coordinating something like that, I, I mean, I think we'll get into some of the, like, I think I'll, I'll try to like summarize some of the lessons learned from this, but just talking about that aspect of it. Cause I always find anytime somebody doing like artwork and working with artists and stuff like that, totally unpredictable timelines versus like, say, just writing a book or something like that. Yeah. Um, what was that like? How'd you, how'd you source these artists and how yeah. like, you source like Tell me about the creation of it. Cause it's really an interesting looking book and, and just really, I don't know. It's really, it's really cool. So tell me a, a little bit about how you source the artists and, and got all this together. Yeah, it's a good question. So it, what we did originally was, you know, I compiled all these quotes that I'd had and I, I whittled it down to my, basically 75 favorites. And I'd, I'd hired a project manager who ended up doing such a good job that I just said, you're, you're the co-author of this book. You know, you, you've done such a tremendous job. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to get it done. But what I told her is I said, you need to reach out to as many artists as possible that you think match the people who said these quotes. So for instance, with Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Mario, mm -hmm. Zelda, mm -hmm. Star Fox, I told her, you got to find somebody who's creating Nintendo art and then mm -hmm. approach them, stuff like that. So she did that and she was able to get, I think, uh, 30 of the 75. And from there, she was like, you know, I don't know where to go because I've, I've looked on Instagram, blah, blah, blah. And so we came up with the idea of using Amazon Mechanical Turk. For people unfamiliar with that, it's a service where you get a bunch of people working on 
a huge task and they break it all down into little miniature tasks. So what the assignment was, was basically fill out this spreadsheet with quality artists on Behance and a few other places and give us their contact information, give us a link to their work. And so they filled it out with hundreds of artists. We got rid of the ones that we'd already reached out to and uh, we reached out for another round and that ended up helping get the book done. And so let's see, we, we ended up reaching out. I think she said she sent a total of about 450 emails. A hundred of them responded, yes, I'll, I'll do it. So, which is a good conversion rate, right? <laughs> like to have 25% of the people that you reached out to say, yeah, I'll make a free portrait for the book. That's incredible. And so I think out of those 450 emails, we only got one response that was put off and they were, they were like angry at the project. So our rejection rate was technically, I think only one and the rest of the people just ignored us, which is good. So, I mean, we were able to make a book that way. Interesting. So, and then of that hundred that you got, how did you, I guess you just whittled that down to like to find your remaining 50 or, or not even 50, but the remaining artists. Is that correct? It's 75. I think what it was is some people created more than they said they would and then, or than we asked them to. And then others ended up not doing it on time or stuff just didn't work out or whatever. I can't remember the exact breakdown, but I know it was about a hundred that, that responded positively like, yes, I'm interested or I will do this. Okay. So here's a question for you. You don't have to share figures or anything like that, mm-hmm. but you know, this is a challenge because I know people who have like, oh, I want to do like a kid's book. So I have to find an artist or, or they want right. to make, you know, graphical kind of things and they'll do like the story, but they need to find, they need to source the artist. So what was the incentive for them to be a part of this? So here's how I communicated this to the artist or how my project manager did. We reached out And we said, the reason we're reaching out is because I came across your work and I absolutely loved it. I wanted to see if you might be interested in our next project. We're working on a collaborative open source book called Play for a Living. And I linked to a slide share I made with 200,000 views. And we said, just to be totally upfront, we do not have a budget. Artist participation is voluntary and any benefits to you are non-monetary. If you're still interested, let's continue. If not, you know, just ignore this email. And then after that, I described the project, right? So I'll, I'll skip through all that. And then I said, uh, what are the benefits for you in this project? And what makes this book unique from others? Here are a few points. Number one, our artists have total control and unlimited creative boundaries. You get to decide whose portrait you'd like to make from our list. And then you can create whatever your imagination desires. This is an opportunity to do a piece of art your way, as long as it's in good taste and it doesn't break any copyright laws, we'll use it. So that was really important, Tom, to say, because basically no artists get those opportunities really where they can say they can create a piece their way. They're, they're always instructed on how to create it. And that for really creative people that can be frustrating and can get old. Uh, so, I mean, the reason I said that was not because I, I had that flash of insight. I asked artists 
that I knew, like, what would make this appealing to you? What would get you to do this? And then the next thing I said is, two, you will be featured in the image reference section at the back of the book. This will be a prominent list with a thumbnail of your portrait and your contact information. So you'll be able to be contacted. And last but not least, this book is a manifesto for people who work in miserable jobs. It shows them the truth behind our world's most impactful workers, that those who achieve the most viewed their work through the lens of play. Our hope for this book is to inspire a societal shift toward more people doing work that they love. So yeah, I mean, we just broke down like, what makes it, what are the benefits for the artist and what makes the project unique? And that got enough people interested in saying yes. And we ended up working with, I mean, if you flip through and look at the pictures that are the portraits that are featured in the book, you can see there's some really, really high quality work in there that if we commissioned everybody, this book would have cost a lot of money. That's what I was wondering because like the artwork is, is exceptional. So I think that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Now I'm really surprised by your numbers because I'm surprised you didn't get like tons of like hate mail back from artists saying, how dare you make me create art for free? But you know, (laughs) you know, here's, here's the thing with that is they get hit up all the time for free work and some of them hate that. And I get it, you know, but here's, here's the thing. My first book was literally on the importance of doing free work for things that you care about and that you're interested in. And a lot of artists agree with that philosophy. That's why I said right up front, this is not a paid opportunity, right? Because a lot of the resentment that comes from free work is this implication that there's a payoff at the end. I think a mistake, an easy mistake I could have made is to say, you know, if this book ends up doing really well, we'd be happy to pay you then later on. It's the equivalent of somebody who's just starting a co- up a company and saying, I'm going to give you 10% equity. Well, 10% equity of zero is still zero. So why make that false promise to absolve you of some of the guilt? Why not just be honest about it up front? It's the same way with colleges where a lot of people leave college now and they're bitter because they felt they'd been basically promised that by getting a college degree, by doing all this work in school, that life and their career would take off afterward. And that's just not the case. It makes really no difference. So I think just being direct, upfront and honest about why we were doing the project why we expected free and giving them permission to just say no, obviously, like, but if you're interested, keep reading. I think that was uh, refreshing. And we actually got, I was told by McKinney and she showed me, we got a lot of emails thanking us just for reaching out with the project. And a lot of the artists were really excited about the project because it gave them a platform to distribute a message that they embodied. You know, a lot of these artists did play for a living and they felt like they constantly had to justify it to other people, their families or whatever, who maybe were more in traditional careers and encouraging them to get a normal job, so to speak. So they felt it was an extension of their own philosophy, which was great. Yeah, I like that. So, so far, some of the lessons I've learned from this conversation, then we'll dig into some. Number one is don't jaw rule your audience. <laughs> Number two is don't launch until you're ready. I'm a big fan of pre-selling stuff and mm-hmm. validating it, but I think you need to be ready in the context of, it doesn't mean that the product needs to be 
you know, ready to ship per se, but that, mm-hmm. that you're ready to execute you and you, you have a very good grasp of what, what elements are left. And in your case, like, yeah, this is the kind of project that had you just started from, here's my idea for it. You don't imagine like three years later, you know, in 20, 2021, Charlie delivers his book because it just takes that long with artists. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just having a good, I think, grasp of what is the timeline for something like this. And then yeah. the third thing on the artist side of things was try to remove any kind of boundaries, allow the creativity, let them kind of choose. And then I, li- I like this because this is good. It, you know, explicitly state there's, there's no monetary payoff. And I think underneath that is just saying, when you're dealing with people, just don't lead them on and just be exactly. straight up with them. Right. And it's that last point, I think is super important because again, it's, it's very, very common in base in not just creative industries in several industries. I mean, how many companies say, if you take this internship, you'll probably get a job and then don't hire the person who took the internship later on. It's better to be direct and upfront and say, look, there are benefits to you, but it's not through pay. So let that go. And if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. Yep. That's interesting. I find that, that like, that's just a great balance too, for anybody looking for that. Cause I know a lot of people are, especially somebody who's trying to, you know, bootstrap something. I think that's, that's key is you gotta be, gotta be clear about it. And yeah, I like the idea of like you pointing out the, you know, you get a percent of equity or something like that. It's, that's essentially meaningless. You know what I mean? Like when somebody's yeah. just starting something, that's as good as nothing. Why even add that? There's all sorts of reasons that people will work for free. I know I did. I mean, I, for probably years and I probably still do on projects to some degree. A lot of the times it, you know, a lot of what I, the work I do is speculative anyway. So there's exactly. that yeah. aspect of it. But like, I think a lot of people are willing to put in the time and effort and work and work for free. You know, if they're getting the benefit of doing something that they enjoy, they're learning from it, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and would you say that that's kind of maybe segueing into the Tim Ferriss backstory? Cause I find this fascinating how you mm-hmm. worked with Tim Ferriss in the first place. And maybe yeah. tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I worked initially with Tim Ferriss for, for free. We transitioned into, you know, a paid hourly role. And then I eventually became his first full-time employee. And we worked together for three years. But, you know, I've, I've always, always started off working for free at any unique opportunity that I've wanted. Because I find that's, that's the fastest way to get your foot in the door. Tom, I mean, when you download a paid app, do you download the free version first usually? Yeah. Yeah, right? Because you yeah. want to try it out. You don't want to spend money yet until you know that it's valuable and worthwhile, right? And free is the business model for apps because they know that otherwise they're not going to get many people downloading their stuff. So I think it's helpful to think in those terms with anything that you, you want people to say yes to is how can I give them a taste of this for free first? I mean, they do it the exact same in grocery stores where you get to sample products first for free by going up to those little stands, right? It's just the easiest way to get your foot in the door. And I think um, there's application here to some degree. I don't know. I don't want to be broadly labeling this, but to services and service-based companies and consulting and stuff like that. Because, you know, I, I run a, a service-based company. And we do like, you know, the marketing and launches and, and campaign management and affiliate management, all this stuff. That's not something I can necessarily do for free, like to run an entire campaign. I would go broke too quick. 
But what mm-hmm. I can do is at least have conversations with people for free, give them advice mm-hmm. for free, knowing that like, hey, this is, you know, this is a big, t- big time player. Like I can give them pointers, maybe help out, maybe make some intros, do all this stuff that I make not a dime off of. And then yeah, you know, exactly. down the road, they end up hiring me or down the road, they end up supporting me. I, exactly. I mean, I had two, the last two guys that worked with me pretty intensively they are now, one of them is acting president of a very successful startup company here in Austin that makes seven or eight figures. He's now acting president because I referred him to the company, to the CEO. And then the other guy just landed a full-time position at that same company. They incidentally both ended up wanting to work there and they're both killing it. And they probably wouldn't have I mean, it's taking too much credit, but I directly introduced both of them to that company. And so doing free work has benefits with the relationships you gain, the trust you gain. I got so much benefit to working with Ramit Sethi for free because I was able to establish myself as a book marketer. Ramit introduced me to Tim. Uh, Same thing with Tucker Max. He introduced me to Tim as well. And Tucker and I ended up working together on a ton of stuff. I'm actually working at Tucker's company, Book in a Box, now. And we've worked on podcasts together. We've worked on tons of stuff. And that never would have happened. I was just a kid in Colorado working on my parents' ping pong table in the basement, typing out emails, hoping for the best, right? And I ended up in these worlds that I really wanted to be a part of. And I attribute most of that to the fact that I was able to strategically work for free. Now, people mess up offering to work for free all the time. That's why I wrote Recession Proof Graduate back in 2009 was to teach people like the right and wrong way of doing it. Yeah. Um, because it's worthless essentially to say, I want to work for you for free. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Like that puts the work on their part because now they have to start thinking about where to put you. I approached all these guys with offers of my skills being applied to existing problems that they had. So for instance, Ramit at the time, he had basically no YouTube presence whatsoever, but I saw a video of him and I was like, my God, this guy's a natural on video. Like he only used to write back then. People didn't know who he was really. And so I said, dude, you got to do video. I'm guessing that you're not doing it because it's kind of cumbersome. It's really tedious to edit. It takes a long time to upload and all that stuff. I get it. Why don't you let me do all that stuff? You just send me footage to edit. I'll make it look good. I'll upload it, take care of everything, and uh, we'll, we'll give this a shot. And the first video he did got like 10,000 views in the first 48 hours or something. So he was like, damn, I need to do this more. And now he, he's got a whole video crew, which is great. And he, it's, it's like a core part of his strategy. And that's how I, I reached out to all these guys is I analyzed where their business was, what they were doing right, what they were doing wrong. And I mapped my skills onto fixing those problems, right? And I would do it in a way that made sense. I had a guy email me recently and he was like, hey man, I noticed you're, you're thinking about getting your website redesigned. I went ahead and took the liberty of uh, making a mock-up for you. I read that and I thought, oh wow, great. That's so cool. 
And I opened up the file and it was the worst design I'd ever seen. It was so bad. I thought he was trolling me. I thought he was just messing with me. <laughs> um, but people legitimately do that where they're like, oh, this person said, you know, he would help with somebody's website design or like Charlie recommended that it, uh, one thing I could do is help people with website design. Well, if you don't have any design skills, you shouldn't do that. You dunce, you know, pick the things that you're yeah. actually good at so that you come across as a person of value. Don't just do whatever you think might work. Do something that actually is legitimately valuable and helpful. <laughs> Hit the nail on the head. Okay. So let me, let me pause it like a, um, a hypothetical. If you were trying to get in touch with, say, Tim Ferriss or one of these guys who you worked with, they weren't nobodies when you started to work with either any of these names. I know that. Mm -hmm. But they're mm -hmm. definitely like, you know, their successes continue to grow. They're even bigger now. How would you get in front of somebody like that? Like, what would be your approach right now like for, to get in front of Tim Ferriss? Like, what would you do? Yeah. I was just talking about this the other day. The, the answer is really simple, which is, I mean, it's the same thing that I did, right? I was a 23-year-old college kid, again, with no experience and no connections. And what I did was I approached them as peers, right? I went to Ramit Sethi first because he was the least crowded channel of all the people that I wanted to work with. And I knew he responded to his emails. He read his emails. So I just thoughtfully gave him something of value and I made it very easy for him to say yes. I made it risk-free you can actually see some of the email scripts that I've used, by the way. If you, if you Google 12 lessons learned while marketing the four-hour body, you can see my initial email exchanges word for word with Tim Ferriss before he and I knew each other. So I came to Ramit and I said, hey, I love what you're doing. It's been tremendously valuable in my life. In fact, and then I would get specific on how he actually helped me which I did, then I would say, you know, I've, I've noticed that you are trying to accomplish X or you're trying to launch your book later this year. And it appears your main goal is to hit the New York Times bestseller list. If you need help, I have some experience in doing just that. And I would list either a result that I've gotten or somebody that I've worked with. and basically anything that lends some credibility. And then I would say, you know, I put together a list of five ideas that I think you could use to help your book sell 10,000 copies in its first week. Check out the list. It's attached. This is totally free for you to use. But if you need help executing any of these things, I'd be happy to do that for you. In fact, I went ahead and I actually did the first one and I got this result, right? So then you're actually showing like, man, this guy's already invested. He's already doing the work that's going to help me achieve my goals. And then the final thing I would say in the email is the cost to you, free. I want to do this because I love your work and I think you and I could actually do great things together. And my goal with you is that at the end of this, we could talk about some potential opportunities to work together more intensively in the future or, or more on a full-time basis in the future. But if it doesn't work out or if that's not of interest, that's totally fine. I wanted you to have these ideas 
in the first place because I believe in your work. Now, none of this, Tom, is insincere. This is 100% genuine. I'm coming from this place of giving, giving a gift, right? This is something that people who operate more, for lack of a better word, in a, an abundance mentality, right? This is not an average job hunter looking for a paycheck and just looking to glom onto somebody's fame. This is a person who is coming from a very thoughtful, very genuine, sincere place of wanting to help and be involved in good projects. And that's truly the way I operate. And I treat these guys as peers. I don't treat them as like, I never said, my hope is that, you know, like you'll be a mentor and, and help me solve all my problems and figure things out and, and like help me be as successful as you. Because here's the thing, I knew that if we ended up working together, that stuff would just be a side effect. It would just happen on its own. What I was really interested in is just learning and doing stuff that I, I could actually get out of bed excited in the morning to do. And so coming from that place, anybody can do that. It's coming from a place of giving a gift rather than asking for the opportunity. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's very, very clear. Here's one specific question, though. That little piece that you did for them, I'm curious, what, is that, what does that look like? In your case, what, I don't know if you can share this, but like, what did you do for Tim at the time? Like, what was that little thing that you just executed on? Because I have a story of somebody who reached out to me recently, kind of did something like that. And it was, I was really kind of blown away because they took the time to do something. Well, tell your story. Okay, well, my, mine was this guy just literally just emailed me. You know, have you seen this advent of, of Facebook bots? No. It's like this thing, like people are doing all these bots on Facebook. Okay. Now. Anyway, I don't know the value of it, but it's, it's kind of the new big thing. What do you mean? Like people do oh. like bots in chat or what? Yeah, essentially chat bots in, in okay. Facebook. So like you can use them for all sorts of different things. Hypothetically in the you know, sales or marketing space, you could use it as like essentially instead of like somebody filling out an intake form, they just communicate with the bot and they answer questions. And they, mm. they respond in the bot you know, through some really basic response learning and not, not response learning. It's not very that, that advanced. It's essentially just kind of like if you were to create a survey and have like branching chains, you could build that into a, a bot on Facebook. So the point is a lot of people are doing this in the marketing space or there's a big push for this right now. And I can see where it can be effective in certain aspects. And a guy came and actually emailed me and he said, Hey, I built this for you. And it was a Tom bot or something like that. And it went through and it was like, you know, hey, I help people do X, Y, and Z. You know, it was actually like stuff that I help people do and then show like depending on what people respond or click on, it gives them resources that I've already created, like my blogs mm-hmm. or my ebooks and stuff like that. I was like, that's really cool. So I was like, yeah, let's hop on a call. So that was like, I don't know how long that took him to produce, but like I was like, because it was so particular to me, I was like immediately impressed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because he made it specific and he probably communicated it in a way that was like enthusiastic and yep. and. Yeah. So. Everything you described. And I'm curious, like, I guess, where's that cutoff point for somebody who's like listening? Like, like what is that thing I should produce? Because there's probably a, a line where somebody's like going to go build this right. website for somebody, you know, right. maybe a mock-up. Like, um, and I don't know if you have an example with Tim, like what you did for his, but like that might be great. Or where you would say that fine line is between under-delivering and, and or over-delivering, right? It's where's that? such a good distinction to, to recognize. And I, I would say, this is more of an art, you know, you'll, you'll get a feel for it as you go along because sometimes people will deliver something and you're like, oh my 
God, this is like way too much in terms of the amount of time and effort they put into it. You feel bad, right? Because it's like sometimes they're off the mark in ways they could have never anticipated. So they might have made something that they're like, you know, I, I thought you might be working on this project. So I, I went ahead and got started for you. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I haven't written about this publicly, but that project's already done. And so I'm, I'm really sorry, but this is like a total waste of your time, basically. So I would say do something that they can immediately visually see the value of that doesn't take you more than a couple hours to put together, gotcha. right? Yep. Uh, like, don't go nuts. Yep. Don't go out and build an entire mobile app for them that took you, right. you know, weeks to develop. That'd be crazy. But put together something that they can quickly understand the visual value of. And, and here's the thing. With Ramit, I said, I'd love to edit videos for you. I didn't actually put together anything for him immediately. I just sent him a previous video that I'd done. If you have quality work in your portfolio that you can show them, just show them that. If it's visually impressive, it, here's, the, here's the transition that the internet has made is it's cut out a lot of the BS, right? Instead of telling people what you can do for them, you can show them. So show them what you're capable of. And if they see you're valuable and good at it, great. They'll say yes. I sent Ramit a video that I thought was like pretty good, but I didn't think it was amazing. You know, from, from a video editor standpoint, I was like, ah, you know, it's kind of gimmicky, whatever. Ramit was blown away, right? Because he doesn't know video editors. So you might be more valuable than you think at your particular skill set because you're used to judging yourself against other people mm -hmm. who have that same skill set. But to people who don't have that skill set, you're really impressive. So send them something you've already created. And then I guess maybe one of the last questions before we wrap up here, when you do this, how did you like, what's an appropriate way to, to move toward a transition to, to potentially getting paid? Because I, I find that some people might take this who are introverted and, and be really nervous to, well, they, or, or, or like, and I've seen this before and I've talked to people about this that have done this. They kind of get into this perpetual cycle of like doing stuff for free and then they never really kind of get out of that. And I know that's kind of a rarity, but like there are people that just don't know how to move from, okay, I'm doing free work to now it's time to get paid kind of thing. Yeah. And not in a demanding way. Cause I know the whole idea here is it's not like you're doing this to get paid. You're doing this to provide value, you're doing this to, for those reasons. But is there a particular way to go from free to, yeah, it's time to yeah, like yeah. getting paid? Yes. This is the part where, like you said, people get stuck and feel horribly uncomfortable. You have to recognize that like, if you select the right person to work with, they're probably going to want to pay you if you do a great job and are going to be able to. You have to do that due diligence though up front because if you start working with somebody who's like, you recognize they don't necessarily have any cash to pay me, that's on you, right? You can't just assume that. So assuming you've done a great job, the way to approach the subject is after you've hit a major milestone of some sort or a, a certain amount of time, you come to them with either the next project or the mm -hmm. next thing that you're going to be working on mm -hmm. and say, you know, I have been so appreciative of being able to work with you on this. 
And here's what we've accomplished so far, kind of remind them of the value you both have created. And then give a couple options. You can say, I'd love to discuss working together on a formal paid basis going into the future. And here's, here's what I was thinking. And let me know if you have uh, mm-hmm. other ideas on how we can go about this is one, we could work on a project by project rate that I set. Two, we can partner on projects. So both of us will be equally invested or you know, we'll, we'll figure out the percentages or whatever. Give them a few options. And so instead of being like, will you pay me yes or no? They can be like, hmm, okay, I got this menu of A, B, or C. Or maybe there's, by inviting them into the idea process of, okay, how am I going to pay this person uh, and compensate them well for their efforts? You're inviting them to think of ideas to make it a big win for you rather than uh, just pay me yes or no. Yep. I find this is really important in everything, it, literally everything, where I need somebody to pull out uh, their credit card eventually. So instead of asking for people to purchase my book, for instance, if I've never exposed them to the book, I'll ask them for their feedback first. I'll say, do you see anything on this page that could be made better and more compelling? And this invites them into the process. It gets them emotionally invested rather than making a binary choice and being pitched. No one really likes being put up against the wall. I did a speaking gig the other day and the speaking gig went so well. I, like, I was really thrilled after because the audience was just so fun. They were so open. The speech just went really well. And I don't see that to toot my own horn. It just like, went exceptionally well. And I was just really happy with it. And then after the speech, one of the event planners came up to me and she, she thanked me. She gave me a hug. And she said, you know, I'd love for you to be a part of our association. I was like, oh, wow, thank you, you know? And she was like, it's $100 to join today. And as soon as she said that, I had this like emotional shift where I was like, what? Like, yeah. it just felt uncomfortable where I was just immediately being put into a yes, no decision mm. of will you give us $100 mm. for this speech that you just gave? And I just thought, you know, like I would happily invest that, but this came about in the wrong way. This was pitched mm-hmm. in a way that made me uncomfortable and it didn't have to. So you have to recognize that like, even though you've done a lot of great work for this person, even though they see you as a person of value and you are frankly like entitled to being compensated well for your work, if you're, if you're delivering value, you still have to recognize that people have emotional shifts when you talk about getting paid. And so to make it easier on them, you want to invite them into the creative process on how to decide how to pay you. I love that. You know, it's, there's a lot of nuance to that, that piece. Like how do you make somebody not feel uncomfortable yeah. with, with kind of getting to that pitch or getting to that offer or getting to that thing? Do you find that there's any kind of, I guess, way to, even though it is nuanced and it's probably like you know, more art than science in, in that context. It, that's that scenario. What would have been a better 
process? Like what would have led you to potentially eventually down the road, like, I don't know, paying a hundred dollars or whatever the end state was in that, that situation. Like how could it have been done differently? If you can do a hypothetical for me, that would have resonated more with you. Yeah. So there's a great book called Presuasion by Robert Cialdini. And his other book is called The Influence. And both of those are like essential reads for anybody who does any marketing. But basically what he teaches in that book is you start by just planting the seed rather than going for the direct ask. So instead of saying, it's $100 today, will you pay today? She might have said, would you be interested in joining our association? And I would have said yes. And she said, would you be okay with paying an annual uh, subscription? And just asking me to say yes, rather than asking for the money directly goes much further, right? Because then I've committed to it verbally, but I felt like I was being asked for the money right then and there. And that made me uncomfortable, right? Because I was riding on this high. It's easier to say, would you be interested in joining our association and being a member? Because I'll say yes to that every time, right? So it's better to plant the seed and then come back later because there's commitment bias in their favor then. Then she can come back and email me later and say, hey, Charlie, thanks so much for the speech. We loved it. You uh, said you would be interested in joining our association. Here's where you can go to do that. Click this link. And then I'm invested in the process, right? And even if I don't join right then and there, she can follow up and say, hey, I, was, I just saw that you haven't, haven't signed up yet. You said you were interested at the seminar. Is there anything holding you back? Mm. You know, it's more work, right, than, than asking upfront once, but it actually converts much better. And that's yep. exactly how, to tie this back into the Kickstarter, Tom, yep. Yep. Uh, that is exactly how I was able to raise $10,000 in 35 hours for this book. I emailed my list first a week before it came out, or it may have even been more, and I said, would you be interested in buying this book? If so, please reply to this email and say yes. I had hundreds of emails come in saying, yes, that, book's lo- that book looks awesome. So the day that I came out, I said, you're getting this email because you said yes, you wanted to buy this book. And I've just been following up with the people who said yes and saying, hey, I noticed that you haven't bought it yet. Is something holding you back? I've had numerous people email me being like, thank you for following up. I, you know, I wasn't able to buy it right away, but you know, I definitely wanted to buy it. I'm buying two copies right now. This stuff works. Ah, that's great, man. I love it. And it's just, it's the, it's like the long fuse. Like, I mean, you just got to, you know, that relationship type marketing, it takes a long, long time sometimes. It does. And I think people get frustrated because, you know, people don't immediately buy whatever the hell it is that they put up online. Yeah. It's hard to get somebody to pull out their credit card for anything unless it's so valuable in the moment. So you really have to be patient and understand that like sometimes people don't see your emails. Sometimes you caught them on a day where their bank account was low and then they got a paycheck at the end of the week. And there's all sorts of scenarios that prevent people from purchasing right away. So you've got to follow up. I love it. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for your time. I know we've, we've probably gone beyond the time you had, but I appreciate the generosity, the discussion, really great stuff. I want to give you the floor. Where can people find you and where can people find this book? Thanks, Tom. 
yeah, I really, I, I enjoyed this conversation, especially talking about Ja Rule. Um, <laughs> So people should go to uh, Kickstarter first and look up Play for a Living. By the time this comes out, there's only going to be a few days left to get a copy. Otherwise, you can go to charliehone.com. Just as a side note, one of the easiest ways to find me is to Google anxiety cure. I'm the number one uh, result for that. That's one of my most popular articles. So if, if you struggle with that, that's a good place for you to start. Fantastic, Charlie. Well, I appreciate it. Definitely everybody go check out Charlie's work. Check out the book. This will be in the show notes if you're listening to this later, and I'm sure it'll be available in distribution beyond the Kickstarter. So if you're listening to this and you know it's 2021 and uh, Ja Rule is running his next uh, fire <laughs> conference or whatever it is, you can definitely, you'll probably find the book via Charlie Owen as well. So Charlie, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for being on in the trenches and I uh, just appreciate everything you do. Thanks, Tom. And one, one final request for your listeners. If you end up applying to do free work for Ja Rule, please email me and let me know how that goes. <laughs> I'll set up your, your FEMA tents for you, Ja. I got this. Dude, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Charlie. Take care. All right. You too. Thank you for listening to In the Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorkis.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.